Hello, and welcome to Business Talk, brought to you by Business West and sponsored by People's Bank. Hi, I'm Chris Kellogg from the Kellogg Crew Morning Show on 94.7 WMAS. And I'd like to introduce the host of this week's episode. He's the editor of Business West. Here's Joe Bednar. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Business Talk. We have a great show for you today. But first, we have this important message from our sponsor, People's Bank. Thank you for listening to the Business Talk podcast, sponsored by People's Bank, bringing you the best in business experts, entrepreneurs, and evangelists. Make Business Talk your innovation break for ideas and inspiration. People's Bank, where commercial banking can fuel your growth and make work life easier. Member FDIC, DIF equal housing lender. Bank at peoples.com slash business. Okay, we're back. And as promised, we have a great show for you today. Our guest is Matt Flink, president of Appleton Corporation. Happy to have you here on Business Talk, Matt. Joe, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And before we jump in with you asking me questions about me, uh, I wanted to make sure that I, I congratulated you again on your recent promotion to editor at Business West. George O'Brien had been there for a long time. And I was very, very happy for you when I heard from some friends that, that you had ascended to that spot. So well done. Congratulations. I really, really appreciate that. I've been here for 20, 22, 23 years now. I'm very proud of the um, of this company, and I'm just—I just have the utmost respect for George. So I hope to um, be able to follow in in some very large shoes. So th- I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So uh, back to you, who also had a transition <laughs> in the in the near past. Uh, you took the reins last year at Appleton, which is the property management division of the O'Connell Companies. Um, you've got properties ranging from Springfield's Union Station to the Springfield Technology Park to shopping centers, medical offices, industrial properties, senior living facilities. Uh, so much more. You've had a pretty broad career. Tell me about what you did before arriving at Appleton and since arriving there and how those experiences prepared you to lead the company. Now, that's a great question. I think that I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate that I have this, this diversity in my world that's, that's geographical diversity and experiential diversity because my career over the last 34 years, I guess it's been, I'm dating myself a bit, has taken me through construction, real estate sales and leasing, real estate development, real estate property management, uh, and has really afforded me the ability to develop a wide-ranging set of skills that are really ideal for my role here at Appleton. And then, you know, geographically, I've been fortunate as well that my career has taken me from, you know, the big cities of the big shouldered city of Chicago to the mountains of Colorado the Gulf Coast of Florida for a couple of years, and then finally 2012 here in New England. So I really feel like all those experiences, all the people I've met, the things I've done, the places I've lived, the different samples of the way things can be done in business Mm -hmm. in America, um, I'm able to bring that to bear here, I think, in a very useful way. And it's, it's funny, you know, I talk about all the places that I've been and lived and things that I've done. I've been here for 12 years now. Uh, and in some circles at the O'Connell companies, I'm still called the new guy. That's just how it works. <laughs> we've, um, we've got a little bit of that here too. We've got a lot of long, uh, long timers on our, our fairly small staff. Yeah. Um, did, did, um, was the work that you were doing over the past decade at Appleton, um, similar to, um, um, roles you've had in the past in, in the other areas of the country you mentioned? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's similar in in a, in a few different ways. So I was originally hired here in 2012 out of the Tampa, Florida marketplace to be the regional director of facilities. So really sort of caring for the nuts and bolts of the properties that we own and or manage. 
And, and a lot of that involved um, construction projects as well. So parking lots, roofs, window replacements, uh, flooring replacements, things of that nature. So I had a, a pretty heavy background um, in construction and in, in residential construction and in, mm. in heavy commercial construction. And then also some background in real estate sales and commercial leasing. And while we don't directly engage in in commercial sales and leasing here, we're not a we're not a real estate brokerage firm. That's not what we do. It's important to have an understanding of that component of the company because it plays so heavily, obviously, in the, into the success of the properties that we manage. So we have to work a lot with the brokerage community and things of that nature to make sure that the buildings stay filled up. And and that you know, and then I've also got some fairly substantial background in real estate development and finance. And so every property that we own and or operate was developed and financed. And there's a, a cash flow and a pro forma for how that building is supposed to function in the world. And so an understanding of how all those things come together to help make that small business, which is a building successful, is really important. There's a, there's a lot of pieces that go into it. It's not really just one thing. And I think that's why, um, you know, all these things coming together helps to make us pretty successful. You know, that kind of leads into a, a I guess what was a simple question, but doesn't have a, the simplest answer, but what exactly goes into property management when people hear that term? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question because I think we banter about that term property management. I think most people are familiar with their property manager as the as the person that sits behind the desk when they go drop their rent check off every month at their <laughs> apartment building, for instance, right? And that's certainly one thing that property managers do. But but a you know a management company like ours, and we are truly a full service management company, so we'll do everything that includes you know providing maintenance and repairs in the building. Whether it's a, again these are whether they're multifamily residential buildings commercial spaces, warehouses, governmental facilities, all of these obligations and responsibilities are going to touch at some point. So providing maintenance and repairs, doing larger capital projects at a building, which might entail replacing a roof or a parking lot, collecting rents from either the residents or the tenants in a commercial space. We have a very robust accounting team here. We we pay all the bills, including the mortgage and taxes, insurance, and the cost of bringing vendors to the building to provide us with services. Um, our accounting team uh, is really, really good. Probably one of the best I've ever worked with um, at providing reports uh, in a format that the owner requests. So whether those are income statements, balance sheets, statements of cash positions, things of those nature. Um, we coordinate oftentimes financing or refinancing activities with the bank to refinance the mortgage on a building perhaps to pull some cash out for the owner or to pull some cash out for a project that needs to be done. We'll oversee tenant construction projects in some of the commercial buildings that we that we manage. One of the big things that we do, particularly in our portfolio of subsidized housing, is ensure that we meet all of our obligations to the various government entities uh, that provide oversight there. So whether that's the Department of Housing and Urban Development or Mass Housing, or a low income uh, tax credit entity or something of that nature. Um, uh, we also just generally ensure that the business of that building operates smoothly. One of my vice presidents here is really good about communicating to her property managers that they are in charge of that building, which is essentially its own small business. 
So everything that goes into operating that little tiny business, which might just be two to three to four or five people, you know, hiring, training, the accounting, the operational perspective, all of those things go into managing that small business. And and we're also fond of, of pointing out oftentimes we all have a job description when we are hired, right? This couple of pieces of paper that says what our responsibilities are. And at the bottom of every single one of them is a phrase that says something like, and all other assignments as necessary. That's kind of the property management business. You never know what each day is going to bring you. And while we 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 hope for the best and prepare for the worst, we're certainly ready for everything every day that we walk into the building. Now, as, as you look to grow the company, how, how do you um, bring more properties into the fold? Uh, I guess, what qualities do you look for when adding to the portfolio? Or are there certain niches you're looking to grow or add? There's a couple components, I think, to, to growth, to growth that's sustainable and, and growth that's done in a responsible way, right? So what, what we've done here is really provide for really stabilized operations across our existing properties. So we have highly skilled, highly trained, highly professional, um, and very kind people on our staff at all of our sites, right? So our property managers, our resident service coordinators, our, our commercial facility managers, our maintenance teams, and our senior leadership team here keep everything operating very smoothly in a very stabilized manner, right? So that's the first part about growth, because if that's not happening, that doesn't afford me the opportunity to go out into the world and try to generate more business opportunities for us. So we've got a very stable operation behind us. And that allows me to go out and seek other opportunities. And I think what we what we recognized over the years, Joe, is that we are particularly good at a number of things and very, very good at a lot of other things as well. I mean, one of the things we're very good at, we talked about here a few minutes ago, um, is ensuring that we meet all of our obligations in, in our subsidized, in our government subsidized buildings. And what that's translated into is an understanding of the systems and the methods of communication and the protocols in other sorts of government buildings as well. So for instance, Springfield Technology Park, which we've managed since I think it's been 1999 or, or 2000, uh, Springfield Union Station that we've been managing for the last five and a half or six years, both buildings that are owned by governmental or quasi-governmental entities that come with them, um, some requirements that you might not find in the private world, some procurement sure. requirements that you have to comply with Massachusetts law or Connecticut law, if, if that's the environment they're operating in. And, and our ability to meet those obligations in our, in our subsidized residential buildings has translated into the ability to meet those obligations in our governmental commercial facilities as well. And I think we're just, we're very, very good at that. And I, I think that the customers that we have in those arenas also appreciate the fact that we add value at every step of the way. One of the things that I preach to my senior team about is that every, every chance that we have to communicate with one of our customers is an opportunity to add value to that relationship. And there are many things that we can do to add value to that relationship or to that customer that don't like cost anybody any money. It's just the way that you answer the phone, the way that you return a phone call promptly, the way that you meet and greet your customer, the way that you go above and beyond merely just the contractual obligations. And so those sorts of things are what we use to go out and find more business. And we really like to also work with customers 
whose business philosophies align with the way that we like to work. Everything we do is above board, honest, fair, and transparent. Um, and we just can't function in a world that doesn't allow us to work in that manner. So we have to sometimes be careful about who we go to work with um, because we know that we just can't operate any other way than what's fair and just and right in every occasion. You're listening to Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West and sponsored by People's Bank. We're talking today with Matt Flink, president of Appleton Corporation. Um, Matt, from what I read and, and I guess occasionally write about, commercial real estate seems to be facing some challenges right now and maybe even some contraction because of your remote, remote work and other factors. Um, how, how does any of that affect Appleton's portfolio or the work that you do? It certainly affects the way that we deliver, not the way that we deliver our final work product to our customers. Our customers are going to be our residents in our, in our, in our multifamily buildings, our tenants in our commercial buildings, and the people that own those buildings. It affects the way that we get that work done, however, right? So during, the, during COVID, like many, many people, we went to a virtually 100% remote work environment here at our headquarters building. So upper level management, our accounting staff, administrative folks, you know, we we found ways to allow them to work for home. Our IT department worked overtime to, to make sure we could deploy computers and monitors and things. Clearly, the folks that are working at our buildings didn't have the opportunity so easily to work remotely. Um, but I think what we learned in that year and a half or two years was that we can continue to function in that manner. Uh, and, and it was sort of proof of concept to us that we could we could engage in this remote work policy and still meet all of our obligations. So that's clearly changed for us. And, and that's reflected out there in the larger real estate world, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. We have seen firsthand companies who had been occupying buildings that we manage and or own and operate um, who, have, who have pulled out because of that specific purpose, because they want to provide to their employees the opportunity to work remotely. Um, and I think that's an important thing. And I, I, like most people in the real estate world, I don't see us going back to a model that has everyone coming into an office every day. I think people are expecting a sense of remote work, or at least a, the ability to do that in a hybrid manner, whether it's a couple of days a week or, or full-time. And so it's really forced owners and managers of commercial real estate to think outside the box and be more clever. So for instance, we have one building in the portfolio uh, that was occupied by a, a, a major automobile manufacturer. And it was, it was the facility that if you were late on your car payment, it was a call center, you get a phone call from, from saying, hey, can you send your car payment in, please, right? And so sure. they decided to consolidate their operations and, and also go to a nearly 100% um, remote policy. So they terminated their lease early. Um, we were able to backfill that entire space pretty quickly uh, with another governmental entity here in Massachusetts. So, I, you know, so I th again, I think that you have to begin to look outside the usual sources of, of tenants for your commercial space and think to yourself, well, who else would be interested in this space? And, and you're, you're right, right? As demand for commercial space has gone down, yet the supply of commercial space has not decreased one inch. As a matter of fact, there were some buildings that were still 
in development phase when COVID hit and um, trying to keep those buildings filled up is a, is a challenge, but you have to be clever about it. Certainly. Yeah. It's an interesting time to be sure. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I wanted to talk as we kind of uh, start to approach the last few minutes here, I wanted to um, sort of uh, transition that to uh, you, your leadership style. I know you've talked to our uh, magazine before about your, your sports coaching experience, <laughs> Um, tell me a little bit about that and how that's shaped you as a leader and what other factors have kind of shaped you as um, as you've taken over leadership of Appleton. Yeah, I think that I was so fortunate I got the chance to coach football for about 10 years in the youth leagues and then ultimately my last several years um, in high school, Beltrotown High School, shout out Orioles, go get them boys and ladies. <laughs> um, for me, the, the transition into this leadership role here at Appleton was absolutely bolstered by the things and the concepts and the experiences coaching young people for many, many years. And, you know, there's a lot of lessons that came out of that, not the least of which is um, every player on your team needs to be coached in a different manner. There's There's no one size fits all for young football players and there's no one size fits all for for middle level and senior level managers as well it's important to to recognize the needs of that specific person uh and i, I think one of the things that i struggled with early uh, in in my in my position here that i've worked pretty hard to overcome is a sense of empathy and while i could certainly be compassionate when I recognize the person had a need and I can meet that need, empathy is a little bit different skill, right? And I, I, I would I would say that's one of the most important skill sets that a leader needs to have. And so right. recognizing what my young football players needed from me in order for them to be successful is something that I try to do now with my team, right? I mm. talk with them all the time. What sorts of training do we need? How, how can I provide you with with the hard skills that you need, with the soft skills that you need, how do you need to be supported as a remote worker, for instance, right? There, there, there's a lot of sense that you you lose some of that team cohesion and some of the com camaraderie that we've enjoyed for years and years when when that when that team is not present. So some of the team building exercises that I did with my young football players carry over to what we do here as well. So we have this wonderful community service uh effort here at Appleton so we we selected three different entities to support and I don't mean just support financially I mean support with our hands and that would be Habitat for Humanity uh the Forest Park Zoo and the Western Mass Food Bank and so oh, getting great together what's that great organizations uh, all three fantastic of them. organizations the the work that they do that those organizations do has impact in the world far beyond what I think most of us can can possibly begin to recognize mm. But our ability to bring our teams in and allow them a day during the work week where they still get paid and they get to go volunteer with those organizations brings so much to those small teams from our field, from our field offices, and also folks from our headquarters building participate in those events. So it gives folks the opportunity to bond around a common goal, which is maybe that day um, to insulate the entire Habitat for Humanity House. Or maybe that day it's to fill up 250 grocery bags with food to be distributed to people that need that food. Or maybe that day it's to get together and do some spring cleanup at the Forest Park Zoo and get it ready for the kids to come the next weekend. 
And, you know, much like football, where you develop this, this common goal towards the win on Friday night, right? We develop common goals here and, and our, our teams kind of circle around that. And it, it gives them a sense of, a sense of belonging, a sense of cohesiveness, a sense of purpose that sometimes is difficult to feel, particularly with all the scattered sites that we have and, and this remote work environment as well. So I, I think some of those things about training, community service, communication, opportunities to get together and, and, and spend time with your colleagues are some of the soft skill things that, that we talk about but they're just essential to the success of the organization because ultimately my job here as the president of Appleton, similar to my job as a, as a football coach is to help each individual find the better version of themselves. Right. And that's, that's not an arrogant statement. That's not me saying I know what's best for everybody. I certainly don't. I struggle with finding the better version of myself every day, mm. but I like to at least give people the opportunity to self-reflect be self-aware, be candid with themselves about where can I be better and then provide them the tools, the support, the encouragement to attain that sense of betterment, whatever that looks like for that particular person. Got about a, a minute left. Um, I, I, you know, the O'Connell companies have been around about a hundred, about a century and a half, I guess. And Appleton will be celebrating fifty years next year. Some really uh, uh, venerable um, companies in the region. How excited are you to um, kind of be at the helm, steering this, uh, steering Appleton toward growth in the future? It's it's great to be a part of it. You talked about filling George O'Brien's shoes earlier today, and similar for me, right? Paul Stelzer, my predecessor, was here in this role for. 28 years and wow. quite literally no one knows the Appleton Corporation without Paul at the helm. And he's a huge figure out there in the Springfield world, right? He was a cathedral guy and his dad was a, a chief of police in Springfield for a while. And he just knows everybody, right? So first I have the big shoes of Paul Stelzer to step into, <laughs> but Paul would be the first one to say to me, you're not stepping into my shoes, right? There's a position there. You're going to build that position around what your particular skill sets is, right? Mm. He was just such a humble person, about everything that he did. Um, but having said that, there, there's a great sense of responsibility to take over something that's been around for 150 years, part of a larger organization that's been around for, you know, 150 years. And I take that pretty seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. Mm. I understand my assignment here but I also understand that there's a number of different ways that I can get from point A to point B. And, you know, 65 or 70 tremendous people out there that, that do this work for us every day, they're going to help us to, to carry into the next 50 years. And so for me, it's not so much a celebration of what we've done for 50 years. It's setting up this company so that when I'm gone, there's another 50 years for great employees to benefit from and to grow from and just enjoy being a part of that culture as well. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Matt, for spending a few minutes with me today. I really enjoyed it. Joe, absolute pleasure. It's great to spend some time talking to you today also. And thanks to all of you for tuning into Business Talk, a podcast presented by Business West and sponsored by People's Bank. I'm Joe Bednar, the editor of Business West, and we'll see you next time.